Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, great to be back with you. Thank you for joining our listeners, our clients today. A lot to catch up on, so looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Daniel. It's been a while, so good to catch up. So, Jason, I know on Tuesday of this week, the S&P 500 was down by 4.3%. That's the worst single day since June of 2020. The 10-year Treasury yield was eight basis points higher to a three-spot four. The two-year yield rose 22 basis points to a three-spot 75, its highest level in about 15 years. So thinking about that, investors, they were contemplating whether the inflation threat was beginning to recede. That was per the July prints, though we did receive on Tuesday the August CPI print, and that came in hotter than expected which, as I alluded to, rattled markets, sent risk assets plummeting. So with all of this in mind, Jason, how is the chief investment office thinking about the inflation outlook from here, maybe in terms of year-end and even beyond into the first quarter of 2023? Well, let's just start with the numbers to level set. Uh, The headline inflation CPI uh, was 8.3% year-over-year. This was down from 8.5% in July and the peak of 9.1% in June. So lower, um, the, the trend is in the right direction, but consensus expectations what it was going to be uh, 8.1%. Uh, I measured on a month-over-month basis, uh, it was 0.1, but there was some expectations, at least sort of a whisper number, that it could decline minus 0.1%. Uh, so a little worse than expected, though still down. What really spooked the markets was that core inflation uh, measured on a year-over-year basis rose from 5.9% to 6.3%. It was expected to rise to 6.1, uh, but it was a bigger increase. And if you measure on a month-over-month basis, it was up 0.6% approximately, uh, if you round it off. Whereas consensus, I was thinking around 0.3. Uh, so that matters. In some way, the month-over-month numbers even matter more than the year-over-year because uh, year-over-year numbers will stay high for a while. But if the month-over-month ones start to fall in that 0.2 to 0.3 range, you annualize it, and that comes out into like the you know, two, two and a half to three and a half percent range, something that's much closer to what the Fed's target is. The fact that the core number was a month over month 0.6, uh, I didn't really show any decline, and it was you know, relatively broad based on the number of different measures going up. That's really what kind of spooked the markets because then it would imply, well, the Fed has to just keep hiking and doing a lot to bring inflation down. So that was really what kind of triggered yesterday's kind of action. Uh, you know, so, so directionally right, but not as kind of good as people expect. Now, the question is, where do we go from here? So I don't think the market is doubting that inflation will come down. In fact, the interesting thing is, if you look at inflation expectations, they've been dropping over the past couple weeks. And even yesterday, you know, they didn't go up very much, even though you saw a big increase in in bond yields, in part because really what the market believes is that, well, this is just going to cause the Fed to raise rates even more aggressively, more quickly. And so no matter what, they're going to bring inflation down. So the market's not concerned about inflation coming down, it thinks it's going to happen. It's concerned that the Fed has to do more uh, to do so, to hike more aggressively, and that just increases the risk of a, of a hard landing, like a recession scenario at some point down the line. It kind of spooks the markets. So there is good reason to think inflation will come down, aside from the fact that the Fed will you know, have, will continue to hike and hike potentially quite aggressively. You know, If you look at other data, like you know, this morning we got PPI data, the producer price index, it also declined quite a bit uh, on a year-over-year, but also like month-over-month basis. 
Uh, if you actually look at the data uh, year over year, it's down to an 8.7%. Last month, it was 98 and it peaked around 11 or 12%. So even more than CPI inflation, the producer price index has declined quite a bit. So it's clearly well off its peak. Uh, and then you measure on a month-over-month basis, it was actually negative minus 0.1%. If you strip out sort of food and energy, uh, you know, the news wasn't quite as good. So on a month-over-month basis, it still went up 0.4%. So consistent with what happened yesterday with the CPI data, that the, the numbers were down, but not quite down as much as expected, and the core number is the one that kind of surprised. So it's positive news from PPI declining and showing to continue to decline because that tends to lead CPI because ultimately these are inputs that that will affect the cost of goods producing that you know you know businesses will have to pass on, and typically there's about a six month lag between PPI changes and you know what happens in in CPI. So as PPI continues to decline, that would suggest that going forward this is going to lead to a further decline in, in CPI data. So there's you know that's that's a positive to suggest that inflation will continue to come down. One of the elements of the core number that was surprising yesterday, or at least exceeded expectations, was the shelter component, which is roughly a third of CPI. So this includes both housing prices, sort of a measure of rent. There's a big lag between past housing price increases or or rental uh, prices going up and when they actually show an inflation data. It can take six, nine, 12 months. So half of these surprise increases due to shelter being better than expected or higher than expected. So that's a negative uh, and that will probably continue to be a drag for the next few months. But the slowdown we're seeing in the housing market, uh, where prices now on a month-over-month basis are, are looking to be almost flatter than the national average, and rental prices are definitely well down from their increases earlier in this year and last year, that will flow through inflation data in the first quarter, the second quarter of next year. But it means for the next three months, six months, it's still going to be a large number. But if you look forward, there's reason to think this is going to start to drop and start to drop you know, quite significantly. So there's reason to still be, you know, believe that inflation is going to decline, but the fact that it's still stickier and it's not sort of, you know, coming down maybe as quickly as people would hope and the market perhaps was, was hoping, that's where we see kind of the, the, you know, the kind of conundrum. So it will decline. I think the Fed's going to keep hiking to make sure it declines. The question it becomes more of how much economic pain we have to, to suffer in order for to get that result where inflation is really at a level that the Fed is comfortable with and can start to make a pivot. Now, from the Fed's perspective, Jason, you have to wonder, in light of this August inflation data, does it justify the need for aggressive hikes? I know we have the September meeting right around the corner. So on a near-term basis, what might this mean for the course of monetary policy? And what might the Fed need to see in order to eventually pivot away from these aggressive hikes? Well, if we just look at the market pricing uh, the Fed meets next week, so next Wednesday they will uh, have the next FOMC meeting where they announce their interest rate increase. Uh, it's likely it's going to be a 75 basis point hike. I mean, the market is now pricing about an 80% probability of that happening with about 20% on a 100 basis point hike. So there's almost no probability on it being less than 75. So I think that's the numbers yesterday kind of pretty much cemented that when it was looking quite less, but that pretty much you know, made it a done deal that it would at least be 75. What we also saw was the market pricing in additional hikes to the end of the year. So we can see something more along the lines of, you know, 75 basis points in in uh, September, like even next week. Then at the beginning of November, there's another meeting, uh, a good chance it could be at least 50 and maybe up to 75 basis points. And then uh, probably another 50 basis points, uh, uh, you know, in December. So all told, close to, you know, 150 to 175 basis points of Fed hikes this year, the market's pricing in. So you're at a Fed funds rate of around 4% or close to it by, by year end. 
with the terminal rates, uh, meaning how high the Fed funds rate ultimately gets in this hiking cycle, but approximately four and a quarter. So that was sort of the biggest change uh, in just in, in sort of the, the past couple of weeks of how much the market is expecting the Fed to hike. So I think if you that's a reasonable expectation, at least for next week of 75, and then you know probably 50-50 for the rest of this year. So you're getting close to a uh, you know 100 basis points uh, or, or four basis point or four percent in terms of a total Fed funds rate kind of by year end. So I think that's you know likely. The Fed is not going to get enough information really kind of probably on the inflation front to change that path for November, maybe by December, and then they'll have three more months of data in which they can sort of make a decision whether we start to sort of moderate the, the pace of hiking. And only really next year or then can we start to really see signs of the Fed sort of pivoting where by they've actually stopped hiking. And even if they don't cut anytime soon, the market will then move towards, well, at some point they're going to start cutting in just a matter of when. So I think it's going to be probably Q1 before we start to see signs of that potential pivot, uh, assuming, again, the inflation data kind of plays out. Now, it's not just a matter of what the Fed um, needs to see in terms of the headline inflation numbers or core inflation numbers falling significantly on a year-over-year basis. Really, what matters is the trend. So something that we look at would be, what is the three-month over three-month change? So what is it, you know, for the last three months, what is inflation versus the prior three months? If that starts to come down to uh, kind of annualized levels of around 3% or less, that can be levels where the Fed can start to dial back and it's hiking and the believe now inflation is trending towards comfortable level. So the year over year number is less relevant to some extent for the market, you know, you know, the expectations of what the Fed would do versus the month over month or three months over three months. So right now it's still too high, but you know, this certainly can change in the next, you know, three months and by year end. So that enough such that we could see the Fed saying we've done enough by year end and we don't have to go beyond that, which means what the market is pricing for, the Fed may not ultimately have to do. But this is all very much data dependent. You know, the Fed is pretty much reacting almost through a rearview mirror in terms of the data that's coming in. And we know inflation is a lagging indicator reflective of past trends, like past shelter trends. Uh, and so it may take some time before the Fed gets really comfortable that the inflation environment has improved for them to pivot. It's unlikely to happen, you know, before year end or at best, you know, at the very end of the year, if the inflation data really starts to indicate that things are coming down. Uh, at, at a level that the Fed would feel comfortable with. Jason, there has been ongoing concern, and we've spoken about this here on the podcast, the Fed's course for monetary policy. What impact might that have for growth here in the U.S.? How might this all impact the U.S. economy over time? From the sounds of the Fed, they're willing to endure some economic pain given their monetary policy efforts to combat inflationary effects. What does the prospect of even more Fed rate hikes, Jason, mean for the growth outlook and the risk? of a recession here in the U.S.? Well, it's an interesting dynamic that's taking place because the inflation data is coming down, but not quickly enough. So this is ramping up, you know, the Fed hiking expectations. And if the Fed actually fulfills those expectations, then the risk of a recession at some point down the line, you know, rises. This is offset by the fact that, at least in the near term, the economic outlook for the U.S. and even to Europe to some extent has actually brightened a little bit. If we just think about the, the job market data that we've gotten over the course of summer, uh, you know, over 500,000 for July, over 300,000 for August. The labor market is still quite strong, or very strong. We're not seeing a lot of signs of weakening there. And even the, the data we have on initial jobless claims the past couple of weeks have been, you know, indicated it's actually coming down a little bit from, from the rise during the summer. So labor market strength is good. Um, inflation numbers are very high, but we're seeing wage growth that is actually higher. And if you measure that on a month-over-month basis, both for July and August, the wage growth is actually higher than inflation which means that real wages are turning positive when they were negative earlier this year. 
So consumers, at least on the margin, are starting to regain some, some spending power. Uh, and that means they're going to support you know, consumer spending activity. And we should see that you know, potentially tomorrow on the retail sales data that we get for August. Uh, other measures like the ISM actually ticked up a little bit, both for manufacturing and services in August. So there's no real signs of significant deceleration of U.S. economic activity, which means the risk of recession between now and year-end or even early next year is actually coming down. But because of this resiliency, it's also sort of feeding or kind of fueling some of these inflation pressures, which means the Fed has to hike more. So if we think of the outlook, uh, what it really means is that the risk of recession near term is probably lower, in part because the inflation pressures are, are elevated because growth is okay, but it raises the risk you know, of a recession later on down the line, meaning you know, looking later into 2023, like the second half of 2023 or, or thereabouts, the risk of recession has probably gone up. And that time, because the inflation numbers are stickier, it's better likely to hike more. The more they hike, the more they risk a policy error of over-tightening. And if that happens, the, you know, the risk of recession further down the line increases. And one thing I'd, I'd note that what we've seen just over the past couple of weeks is central banks globally, you know, the Fed, the ECB, uh, other major central banks, they've taken a very kind of hawkish tone. Uh, you'll see a number of 75 basis point rate hikes this month across certainly across the G10 countries. Uh, and I think there's a, such a focus on restoring central bank credibility, getting inflation under control, that it's almost irregardless of data that would suggest that inflation will decline in the coming quarters. But because you know central banks have been so far behind the curve and inflation levels are still far too high, they just, they're going to continue to hike and hike potentially quite aggressively because they just don't trust their forecasting ability. And as that happens, the risk certainly is that you know, central banks could over-tighten. Uh, and what you're also seeing, at least in Europe, is to offset you know, the problems of high energy prices, you're starting to see some fiscal measures to provide support to consumers. Plus, there's an announcement in the UK that they would provide support effectively to kind of cap the energy prices that households would have to pay at around £2,500. Uh, and so, of course, the price could be higher than that. So the net amount of fiscal stimulus that's estimated is, is to be about 4% of GDP, which is a sizable stimulus to provide for the economy. So that really has reduced the risk of a recession in the UK in the near term. But you're seeing also other parts of, of Europe and Eurozone countries starting to do things along the same lines. So reducing near-term recession risk, but it's also making the inflation problem a little bit you know, kind of harder, extends it. It means central banks have to hike more, which is really it's about shifting the, the probability of recession from kind of in the next six months to more the 12 to 18-month time horizon. That's kind of really what's kind of going on in the marketplace right now. Um, that it's still, but it's really pushing it out when this would happen. Jason, just to revisit the market response from Tuesday, it's worth spending a few moments on. I want to hear your interpretation again, just to rattle off these numbers, the S&P 500 on Tuesday down 4.3% and eight basis points run up in the 10 year, a 22 basis points run up in the two year. So pretty jarring numbers there, Jason. What's your interpretation of the market response to the inflation data? Well, if you start on the fixed income side, uh, you know, the rate levels have went up significantly, as you alluded to. A lot of that was due to higher real interest rates. So inflation expectations really didn't go up very much or, or, or very modestly. Uh, and that be- that's because, pe- you know, the investors believe that ultimately, the, you know, the Fed will continue to raise rates enough that uh, they'll just slow growth, maybe to the point of recession. Uh, and that's going to you know, solve the inflation problem. So even though the inflation number was worse than expected, you don't see inflation expectations going up because the belief is that well, the Fed will keep hiking. Now the question becomes like, does the Fed have to hike as much as now the market is pricing? Uh, and that that will remain to be seen because it's going to be very much data dependent. 
I think there's reasons to think that the Fed won't have to kind of go as far as the as the market is currently pricing, because as we move forward by the end of the year, declines in inflation data should start to become a little bit more apparent, and that would be enough for the Fed to perhaps you know slow down. Uh, you know, they're hiking or even pause, especially if you're trying to see signs of economic weakness. Uh, if we turn to the equity front, where we saw the S&P was down you know, over 4% and the NASDAQ down 5%, some of these moves seem to be a little bit on the extreme side in terms of, you know, the, the inflation picture and the recession risk. Yes, the data from yesterday was a negative in terms of the overall luck and suggesting you know, the risk of, uh, of a hard landing probably has gone up a little bit. But the move we saw in equities yesterday feels like it's a little bit overshooting you know, that that probability. And if you count, count on that by the fact that the economic growth environment was looking a little bit better than expected, and something that's also important, in, you know, going back to the producer price data that I was referring to earlier, this is falling more rapidly than consumer prices, the CPI. The difference between CPI and PPI, in some ways, as a proxy for corporate margins. So as we see PPI decline, what we're finding is actually in this evidence of CPI data that is pretty broad-based. It's going from being less supply-driven inflation, meaning that the supply side constraints related to the pandemic, supply chains, and that sort, to demand is just quite strong. Companies have pricing power, and they're actually keeping prices, they're raising prices, even as their input costs rise less rapidly. So that would mean that's also equal positive for margins and positive for corporate earnings. So that could mean earnings be a little more resilient than at least for the time being than investors expect. Um, it also means that companies, you know, you know, if your earnings aren't already contracting, if growth isn't contracting, uh, and your earnings aren't falling, then the need to lay off workers isn't there. So the idea of any significant pickup in layoffs anytime soon also looks unlikely. So the growth outlook is is probably better than the market is fearing, at least in the near term, and how much it's pricing in. So the reaction yesterday suggests, you know, a little bit knee-jerk and perhaps too much in terms of this is changing the outlook entirely. Yes, it was a sort of negative news, but perhaps not as bad as the market reacted to yesterday. Um, clearly, sentiment is very negative, and people are sort of digesting it in a negative way. And, and in that case, you can get markets more for technical reasons, kind of selling off uh, in an exaggerated way as opposed to what the fundamental information uh, would suggest is warranted. Jason, as we begin to wrap up today, it's worth spending a few moments as well on positioning. So there is a lot here to consider just to take inventory of the concerns and play prospects of more aggressive rate hikes from the Fed, uncertainty about sticky inflation, as well as the prospects for slower growth here in the U.S. So given all of these concerns, these potential headwinds, Jason, how is the chief investment office right now recommending that investors or clients be positioned? Well, the, the overarching sort of theme that we've had for markets for a while now is that in this environment of elevated inflation that's far you know, far higher than what the Fed is comfortable with, where labor market is tight, you're going to get a Fed that's very much focused on tightening policy in order to slow growth below trying to bring inflation down. If that's the case, that's not a great environment for, for any asset class. Um, and, and it leads to uh, uh, you know, a very choppy, challenging market. You see swings uh, that we've seen over the past uh, few months where the markets can rally on, on the prospect of better news, but also sell off. Um, you can get technical-driven rallies, and, and certainly leading up into yesterday's news, there was hope that the inflation data would be better, uh, and you probably had a little bit sentiment-driven rally leading into that, and you know, what we saw yesterday was a bit of an unwind. So you can call this you know, you know, market volatility. It's also a market that's kind of prone to swings. It's very going to be data-dependent. Because one thing that the Fed used to do pre-pandemic was try to take volatility on the marketplace by providing kind of clear guidance that 
anytime there's economic weakness, they would sort of react to it in a favorable way, at least in a, in a way that would be favorable for markets. They're not doing that right now. So all of the volatility and uncertainty in the data almost kind of gets translated directly to financial markets. And that's going to be the environment kind of going forward, which means investors have to be prepared for some choppiness. Uh, you know, the data is noisy. It's measured with error. So we could also get in you know, a month from now, September inflation data that is actually below expectations, and then markets rally on that. So I think that's just an environment you have to be prepared for. Um, but also the fundamental outlook right now doesn't necessarily warrant a really kind of either pessimistic view, you know, they're really optimistic view, which is why we would suggest not making big market directional bets on equities uh, or other asset classes kind of one way or another because of that sort of uncertainty in the job environment. So nothing of the past couple of days with inflation data has changed that story. So then we think about where are there opportunities, what are things that we continue to like? Uh, you know, we continue to like you know, value uh, stocks in, in the U.S., but also globally. Uh, we just saw yesterday as a good example where with the rates rising so much, that's a negative for growth stocks because they're such long kind of duration, you know, assets where they have their earnings far in the future, whereas higher interest rates all will benefit, you know, you know, financials. And the fact that, you know, the growth data has been somewhat resilient, that's also at the margin beneficial for value stocks, which can do well when normal GDP growth is above 2%, and we should be well above that at least for the next couple of quarters. So that's a way to kind of, you know, tilt your portfolio in that direction. Um, that said, we still see large across both equities and fixed income, you have to be a little more defensively positioned within those asset classes, kind of go up in quality. Uh, so that's, you know, things that we've done uh, recently within, uh, you know, sort of within fixed income. We had a, you know, a more preferred for preferred securities. We took that off last month uh, for mortgage-backed securities, which is higher quality. Um, so it's kind of up in quality by and large within the fixed income space. And then in equities, some of our sector positioning is now tilting more, you know, defensive, where we have you know, overweights to you know to stables to healthcare, you know, and then underweights into you know, to sectors, you know, you know like consumer discretionary. So again, a little more defensively positioned without outright reducing the overall equity allocation in your you know, portfolio. Uh, and we can see like commodities, it's an asset class that it's sold off even more so than equities. Yet the micro fundamentals of supply and demand would suggest that prices sh- should go higher. And if there are any other, you know, supply disruptions or commodity price disruptions. Those prices should go higher, so they're kind of also a hedge against some, some more adverse scenarios. But in a more softish landing, commodity prices also should rally in, in that event. So to get a good play, both in a base case scenario of kind of muddling through of okay growth, but also in a situation where you know there, there are you know um, supply disruptions that would cause commodity prices to go higher. So those are a few ways in which we could just kind of position your portfolio. But in the overall narrative and view of, of markets of choppiness. Jason, very productive conversation today. Thank you for dropping by top of the morning for the CIO strategy snapshot. Very helpful to have heard your interpretation of the August inflation data, as well as an outlook for markets, for the economy, what we might expect to see from the Fed next week and how to consider positioning portfolios accordingly. So, of course, there is a lot here that we will follow up on in the weeks to come. So, Looking forward to those conversations, though, Jason. Thank you again for your time and insight today. Appreciate it, as always. You're welcome, and have a great rest of the week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.